podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. Hey, today in New York Times, there was a full-page ad by Third Love uh, underwear brand CEO Heidi Zack bemoaning the fact that Victoria's Secret was totally out of touch. I thought it was a great brand story, so I went on the air with Mark Brené and talked about it. Here's our conversation. Well, I don't know if the secret is out, but the CEO of Victoria's Secret's lingerie division is out. Jan Singer, or Jan Singer, has resigned after two years on the job and a a lot of controversy, including last week in a magazine article in which one of her marketing directors made some comments that many say are not in vogue. The interview was in vogue. Let's find out what's up in the underbelly of the underwear world. Our guest is Mark Stoiber, brand strategy consultant, author of the books Didn't See It Coming and Stop Busting Your Brand. Welcome back, Mark. Thank you very much for having me. What's, awesome to be back. What's happened over at Victoria's Secret? Well, it's, you know, I, I love this. And I got to say, full props to you, man. I walked in here and you said, Mark, what about this hard news? The CEO just stepped down and you caught me completely flat-footed. That's what I love about working with hardcore journalists. <laughs> and with me. And with you. Right. And with you. Now, let's, let's get back but to let's the... Let's get back let, to today. Because you want to talk underwear. Today, yes, I love talking <laughs> underwear. I would rather talk underwear than anything else. Uh, today, in the news, in the New York Times, an open letter to Victoria's Secret, written by the CEO, Heidi Zack, of a company called Third Love. And what this letter said is uh, she quotes the, the, marketing, the head marketing officer of Victoria's Secret saying... We attempted to do a television special for plus sizes in 2000. Nobody had any interest in it, still don't. It's like, why doesn't your show do this? Shouldn't you have transsexuals in the show? No, no, I don't think we should. Well, why not? Because the show is a fantasy. And the CEO goes on to berate this uh, chief marketing officer of Victoria's Secret saying, you are so out of touch. Now, this got me interested in the story because to me this plays out a a brand story that's as old as brands themselves the whole idea of a company being born in a time and the values of the world shifting around it but the company not being able to shift to keep up and so what eventually like the dinosaur it just falls over falls over and dies now this is very interesting because like facebook Victoria is still top of the game. They're still the number one lingerie marketer in the United States. I saw a stat on it, and I don't have it right here, but it was 700, what the heck, 700 million dollars a year they sell in, in, in lingerie? It's crazy. They are number one, but they are just tanking as far as uh, share price goes, as far as sales go. And uh, there's a lot of little mammals that are coming up. And this is what makes it really, really interesting to me because it comes down to brand. It comes down to uh, what the companies stand for and, and the consumers that they're appealing to. And, it, you know, what we're seeing right now is a radically accelerated shift in consumer values. And third love fits in, and Victoria's Secret doesn't. Do you know the history of Victoria's Secret? I do not. Victoria's Secret was started in 1977 by a man. Is that right? Now, this okay. is, this is, this is going to be really funny, because if yeah. you want to talk about the, the shifting values, uh, Victoria's Secret was started by a man, Roy Raymond, because he felt like an unwelcome intruder in dowdy department store underwear departments. Now, this tells you everything. The gentleman was shopping for his wife for underwear. 
right? So that tells you something about the history of Victoria's Secret. He says, I want to make something sexy for ladies slash men. And that was the principle that Victoria's Secret was founded on. Not a woman's brand, but a brand for men who wanted their women yeah, to be sexy. Exactly. Let's get this straight here. Their, uh, their market audience, I think, their target audience is men, not women. No, it is. And you know, it's really funny because a few years ago I was working in sustainability a lot and Victoria's Secret got called to the carpet because at the time they had the largest distributed catalog in the world. And the big joke was it was the number one subscription in every dorm room uh, throughout the world that were, where young men were living. And it was hilarious because they got taken to task by printing, pay, uh, printing these catalogs on virgin wood paper. Anyway, that's another story. So they, they created this huge catalog and they, they, they did really, really well, you know, for a while. And then what happened was it was sold in 1982 to a, a person named Leslie Wexner for a big whopping $1 million. That's it. Imagine that. He abandoned the idea of selling to men and focused on women instead. Now, uh, 1987, among the best-selling catalogs in North America, 1999, they made a shift. Now, you know, this is the big thing. When we always talk about brands that are like dinosaurs, they say, well, they just don't get it. They're not dialed in. They were dialed in. They went from selling cleavage, sort of the, you know, the brothel look, to selling more of a Vogue layout, so a classy woman look. You know, so but and that's sort of like Victoria's Secret, the the Angels collection. It used to look a lot different. I mean, it's still very, very titillating and stuff like that, but it was a lot more so. So in 2006, over a thousand stores across the U.S. and in 2016, the CEO resigned amid sliding sales, and now the new CEO just went out. Companies in trouble. So it's interesting the trajectory of this company, but I found it really interesting that it went f that it started as a, a man who wanted to go shopping for his wife, right? And then they went away from that, from men to women who are buying, and they went away from the sort of the bordello look to something that would be more in Vogue magazine. However, this dinosaur didn't see the meteor coming, and the meteor is things like Me Too and the rapidly evolving taste that women have. And I want to I compare this with Third Love. This is the, the person who wrote this letter in the New York Times. And just explain what Third Love is. Third Love is an underwear company. That's why the theme of our show is the tale of two underwears. <laughs> uh, this, uh, the person, Heidi Zach, is the, is the owner, CEO of Third Love. And this is, from their website, what they believe in. They want to raise the status quo. They're all about individuals, originals, one of a kind. Our shapes don't define us. Our stories do. No, it doesn't fit in a box. Who fits in a box anymore? So the whole idea is 180 degrees away from Victoria's Secret, all about women feeling comfortable in their own skin and rapid evolution to meet you know, needs of people who are, say, trans transgender. One of the first things that Heidi Zach talked about was that her brand got it really wrong at the beginning because they were talking her original target was a, a middle or younger to middle-aged woman who worked in advertising, wasn't married, had a cat, living in Brooklyn, so kind of trendy place. But what she noticed was that nobody was paying t attention to women who were over 40. They all classified them as mothers. And she said, this was a massive market. I think this set the tone for the company as opposed to continuing along on a long trajectory saying it's about men, 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 and then having to change gears slowly, she noticed very rapidly that she had to change gears 
from a downtown woman to an over 40s lady to everybody. And it's, it's a very interesting story of how brands used to not have to change as quickly, but now have to change at lightning speed. And you want to compare this with two very major brands. I want to compare this with things like McDonald's and Apple. Yeah. You know what's interesting about Apple? Uh, I think that Apple has set itself up beautifully. I always said that if Apple was selling a frying pan, I would line up the night before, just like people do outside Apple stores, because I knew it would make me more creative. Apple's mission is to be the most creative in everything, no matter what they do. And what this does, it forces them to jettison things that aren't working. So it's not about, um, like, uh, you know, third love or... or Give us an example, because didn't they have the iWatch that was not selling well? That's right. They abandoned things. They abandoned the iPod, right? They they got rid of their best seller. They get rid of stuff all the time. Now, I think after Steve Jobs died, I think they slowed down, and they went on a program of incremental innovation. You know how their iPhones keep getting better, but not so much anymore? Before that, Steve Jobs would just chuck everything, you know, and that was the mission of the company. It's a very terrifying mission. What's the advantage of that as opposed to the way Steve Jobs would have done it? Uh, The advantage of sticking to your stuff is that once you get something right, you can milk it for all it's worth. It's a bit like coming up with a really cool car model and then just keeping it on and keeping it on and keeping it on, putting new chrome on, a new windshield, new grill, not changing anything fundamentally, milking it as long as you can. And I think that's kind of the mode that Apple is in right now. You know, they're not making new frying pans or or helicopters, which I think Steve Jobs, for example, Steve Jobs, before he died, he says, what I'm going to take on next is education. And he wasn't talking about inventing a computer. He was talking about tearing apart education and putting it back together again. Now, Apple, in its current form, probably wouldn't do that. The advantage is that you can milk a product. The disadvantage is that somebody like Third Love can come up and totally cut you off at the knees. And we see this all the time in the world. So is Third Love a major competitor now for? Third Love, uh, I imagine, uh, Victoria's Secret. Third Love is a rapidly growing startup. They're not a major competitor. They're big enough to run an ad in the New York Times. Yeah. So they're, they are a serious contender. And we see today things that were worth nothing yesterday, hello, Snapchat, are worth billions of dollars today. So the world is moving at an extremely quick pace, and yesterday's tiny little mammals are becoming today's giants. So another one, though, that you want to talk about where they don't have innovation in the mission is McDonald's. Now, I don't know how much time we got, but we can... You do? How how many times have you been in this studio? I've been in this studio... Do you know where the clock is? Uh, Oh. Look at that. See, that's a clock. When I see a clock, I'm used to old school innovation with the numbers just going around. I'm not used to red numbers. So let's hold on, McDonald's. Yeah. Hang on to that Big Mac. Hang on to the Big Mac. That's a clock. (laughs) I'm not going anywhere near your underwear, pal. (laughs) Uh, Mark Stoiber is here, brand strategy consultant, author of the books, Didn't See It Coming, Stop Busting Your Tail, and I Wish I Knew How to Tell the Time. Thank you. You're very welcome. Hey, it's Mark here. I hope you're enjoying the show. Uh, While we're in the break, make sure to check out my book, Stop Busting Your Brand. You'll find it at stopbustingyourbrand.com. If you enjoy the book, let me know. Now, back to the show. 349, 11 minutes before 4, we're talking about brands and how to keep your brand uh, in the news, but in a positive way, Mm -hmm. and how to keep your brand in the black, 
not mm -hmm. the red. Mark Stoiber is our guest, brand strategy consultant, the author of two books, Didn't See It Coming and Stop Busting Your Brand. We're talking about the controversy down uh, in the States with Victoria's Secrets. Uh, Victoria, Victoria's Secret, I guess. Victoria's Secret. And uh, they, a bit of a faux pas by one of the company's CEOs, where he basically said that uh, we're, we're looking for the sexy, attractive women, and they have to be hourglass figures. Mm -hmm. we're, not, we're not into, we're not interested in doing anything to promote women with a larger body size. Mm -hmm. And that took a lot of hits on social media, and so now the company is in a bit of turmoil. Yeah. Now I want to I want to just build on that because uh, in uh, <laughs> in 1982, uh, when it was on the verge of bankruptcy, uh, Lex Wexner, who purchased the original Victoria's Secret from the founder, uh, sounds like a superhero. Wex. Lex Wexner, I think he's Lex, he, he, Lex. Lex Luthor. Yeah. He has a bald head. He lives in an iceberg. <laughs> uh, he rejected <laughs> he rejected the reading that male objectification of women contributed to Victoria's Secret woes. He said, I think that's just complete nonsense. If Lululemon is selling skin-tight yoga pants, it's because that's what women want to buy. So there's the challenge right there. Is he wrong? I don't know. But I think there's something fundamentally different between Victoria's Secret and Lululemon. I don't think you'd find that many, uh, just to be simplistic, you won't find a whole lot of people walking down the street wearing Victoria's Secret. Right. But yoga pants is the go-to you know, it's the go-to wear out on the West Coast well, and almost know. everywhere. You don't know unless you've got Superman's X-ray eyes. It's true, but you know, it's one of those but things. But I like, agree with you. You, you go, oh, wait a minute. He may, I don't, I don't, I don't think he's right. There's something fundamentally weird. I think Lululemon is about empowerment and feeling good about your body, regardless of what Chip Wilson was, you know, heard to say every once in a while. But I, I look at Victoria's Secret and I go, very much, it's about what a guy in a dorm room yeah. thinks dream women should be about. The same kind of guy that buys Axe deodorant, you know, if you wear this deodorant, all the girls will chase you. It's a fantasy built for with men axe. with an axe. And uh, I don't think it's the same as Lululemon, I, I, even though the end result is the same. I think that's a fair comparison. You know? Where does McDonald's come in? I, I love McDonald's, one of, my, one of my favorite brands. I worked on the account for years. Now, McDonald's got their start in the late 1940s uh, from McDonald Brothers, and they took it from being a, a barbecue place Ray to Croc, give, Ray Kroc. Well, no, he started, he did it in 1954. Yeah. He came in in 1954, bought him out. And uh, they went from a barbecue joint to a place where they sold 15 cent hamburgers. So right from the start, it was good, cheap, fast food. And that was the brand that built McDonald's. And that was the brand that they perpetuated. Now, shifting morals and values. Suddenly we all realize that we're hyper obese, that our food is killing us, and McDonald's manages to come through it not looking great, but not looking that terrible. Now, they did some stuff. I want to talk about one thing in particular. It was the McDonald's campaign, I think it was 2014, where they came out and said, ask us anything. And people actually did. Where does this stuff come from? Why does this taste like that? Was this garbage? Are these things no good? I did a campaign like that for myself for McDonald's where we ran around to all the farmers and we talked to them. And one famous anecdote was a farmer said, you know the buns for Egg McMuffins? The ones that McDonald's pick, well, the ones they reject, the ones that McDonald's reject are the ones that go to the supermarket. <laughs> Is that right? I am not, I'm not kidding. That's true? That's a true story. So why, I, I do got... have, why do they have such high quality as far as their buns go, but what's in between the two buns? 
was uh, not so much that way. I don't know. You know, it's one of those things. It's still fast food. It's yeah. still it's still good greasy food. Uh, but the another thing is bringing salads into the menu. I was there when they did that, and it was a huge controversy because right at that time, mom went to McDonald's with the kids and dad. Kids and dad don't give a hoot. They just stuff garbage food in their face. Mom sits there and go, well, I guess I could eat nothing. Yeah, but you know, you know what? I just can't see mom and dad bringing little Frankie down to McDonald's. And Frankie, you're not having fries, you're having a salad. No, but mom couldn't eat. Mom was <laughs> starving. Right. So they put it in, and then the big controversy was by giving mom the salad, is that isolating everybody else? Is that killing the brand? Turns out it wasn't. And interestingly, the market started to go towards the salads. The salads are a huge success now. You know, even though I always said that, you know, being the salad being the salad on the menu at McDonald's. It's like one of those things everybody admires, but nobody picks. That's right. So maybe it was good for the brand. Maybe not that many people picked it. But I think McDonald's has done a wonderful job answering some tough questions and keeping itself in a sort of a risky place. And it is still way more current than brands like, say, Burger King. Um, I was there when they brought McDonald's coffee in, and we did survey after survey at McDonald's, and we discovered that people loved the food, hated the coffee. The coffee was like axle grease remover, <laughs> and uh, and and we so we they changed up the coffee, and they upped the expense, and they their goal was to make their coffee as good as Starbucks. Now you can argue one way or another if they've succeeded or not, but their coffee. I think tastes really, really good. A lot of people say it's the number. In fact, is it not? Was it not rated the number one? I, I don't know if it, it was. was. Either sales came in as number one ahead of Timmy's, yeah, ahead of Starbucks in Canada, yeah, or there was some sort of a survey recently, and people are saying no, McDonald's coffee is the best coffee. McDonald's coffee is I've good coffee, this. and you yeah, know what I like about it—that you can get a shot of espresso in it. Now that's another thing. When they brought McCafe in, mm -hmm. you know, it was—it was kind of a, a, a hard, risky move because are you going to? isolate the core who just want, you know, a double-double by bringing something fancy and upmarket like McCafe in. No, it totally worked for them. So, but McDonald's is very good at taking risks, a little bit like Apple, if you, you can squint, in that they say, we, our mission is to stay ahead. And they also, I mean, they went through terrible times because back in the 1980s and 90s, they had a time where their market was falling off, and so what they did, they tried to expand their market. Right. A lot like Victoria's Secret which when their market was falling, they expanded into China because they figured people don't know them there yet. But for McDonald's, it didn't work. And so what they said, no, we've got to come home. Chickens have come home to roost. And so they came home and said, we've got to make our product better. And it was a wonderful decision. Uh, Ten seconds. Advice for Victoria's Secret. Advice, uh, rip it apart and put it back together again under a new banner. Gotcha. Okay. Mark, thank you very much for this. Thanks go, for having me again. have a coffee. Stoy